Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started today, I'd love you to go to lincolnproject.us slash action dash center. That's lincolnproject.us slash action dash center. Join the army that's going to help at the grassroots level make sure that pro-democracy candidates are victorious this November and get us into 2023 with a safe and healthy democracy. Only you can do it. Again, lincolnproject.us slash action dash center. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Rumpf, communication strategist and contributing editor for Mediaite. She's also been published or appeared on a variety of outlets, including The National Review, The Daily Beast, and MSNBC. Over the course of her career, she's advised a plethora of PACs, nonprofits, think tanks, and campaigns at the local, state, and national levels. Today, she's coming to us from, and Sarah, I think I have this right, right outside Cinderella's castle in the heart of the Magic Kingdom <laughs> in Central Florida. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And yes, I am in Mickey's backyard. <laughs> so today I want to talk about the latest with Ron DeSantis, as well as Toyota restarting contributions to seditionist members of Congress. But first, you are in fact coming to us today from Orlando, Florida. So we have to start with Disney and the latest law out of Tallahassee. So let's briefly recap. Earlier this year, Ron DeSantis proposed and the Florida legislature passed a bill that's now being come to known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, which really, I think, was just a culture war grenade, you know, a solution in search of a problem about how you can talk about homosexuality or whatever in schools where it's not being discussed, as I understand it, really anyway. Disney, who is the biggest employer in Florida, 80,000 employees, billions of dollars of revenue, hundreds of millions of dollars of taxes paid every year, came out against this bill. And in response, last week, the Florida legislature basically passed a law that would dissolve the way that Disney is able to operate its property that, you know, provides municipal-like services for the 27,000 acres it controls. And this new law is really seen as retribution for Disney's willingness to stand up to Ron DeSantis. So take us through a little bit how you see this and what's going on down there. Okay. Well, and just to give your listeners some background, I actually practiced law for several years. And so some of what I'm saying is from my own experience. Some of what I'm saying is from conversations I've had with tenured professors at the University of Florida Law School where I went. Some of it is based on conversations I've had with board-certified local government attorneys. I have made dozens of calls over the past uh, week to uh, officials in both Orange and Osceola County. I've spoken to people at the Reedy Creek Improvement District. I've spoken to former employees of Disney. I've spoken to former employees of Reedy Creek. I've spoken to a top-level executive at Universal. In other words, I have done a lot of due diligence on this issue. My number one complaint about what the legislature did and the bill that Ron DeSantis signed is that none of them did even 1% of that. I can arrogantly but accurately declare that I am more informed than the people who did this. <laughs> and that is not a proper way to govern. Wherever you are in the partisan spectrum, you should not want people doing things in this way. And I have an article I'm working on that will come out this week that uses the analogy of Chesterton's fence, that when you are coming along and you see a fence, you don't knock that fence down without knowing why it was put up in the first place. And that's exactly what's happened with Reedy Creek. When Disney came along in the 1960s, 
I-4 was there and the Florida Turnpike was there and the Orlando Airport was there, but not a lot else. When he was flying over the area, he was looking at citrus groves, cows, and swamp. This is Walt Disney you're talking about. Yes, yes. So he wanted to build this park and he had very specific things that he was looking for to do differently from what they'd done with Disneyland in California. In Anaheim, they'd been in a much smaller area and development grew up around them. They couldn't control the neighbors across the street. So sometimes that was businesses that they didn't view as family friendly. And he also lost out on all the hotel revenue and they couldn't expand. So he wanted a big chunk of land. They had very ambitious ideas. And they came to Florida, which already was a tourism mecca because of the weather, but nowhere near what it is today. And he proposed a very substantial purchase, very substantial development. And both Orange and Osceola County were like, okay, cool, but we have no way to do what you're talking about. At the time, the parcels were miles away from even just water and electric hookup. And so what was done was what's called a special taxing district. Now, supporters of this repeal have phrased that like it's special privileges. But what a special taxing district is, the middle word is the important one. Florida law doesn't let you tax the taxpayers of a county in a different or discriminatory way unless you have a special taxing district that authorizes the different millage rates and revenue collections for the purposes of the district. So that's what this is all about. It does offer Disney a lot of control, but it also has a lot of costs and restrictions that are built in. And again, at the time, Orange and Osceola County had no way to even begin providing this infrastructure. And today, we obviously are a lot more built up. Orlando is a very large metropolitan area. We have a lot of other big cities in Orange County. Osceola is still mostly rural outside the tourist corridor, but it is, you know, a lot more developed. But still, the officials that I spoke to and the staff members, and again, the level of access I have is I picked up the phone and called general numbers and asked to speak to somebody. And people didn't want to go on the record, but readily told me, oh, we're so surprised by this. We're terrified, words, words I heard. We don't know what's going on. No one has called us. We're not ready for this. And here's the problem. A lot of people have said, oh, well, Disney and the counties can just work out a new deal. This requires a lot of planning work, a lot of legal work. I spoke directly with an Orange County Commissioner, Christine Moore, who spoke to me on the record, and she said flat out that they had no idea how they'd even begin to tackle this. The staff is already overburdened. They're already dealing with I-4 transportation woes, housing issues. They don't have the capacity for this. So just trying to move forward with this at all is going to be an immense cost to these local governments. And the money has to come from somewhere. You either raise taxes or you cut services. So if this doesn't get knocked down by a court or repealed in the next few months, it's going to start imposing costs. And that is outside of the tax increase that Orange County tax collector Scott Randolph has already calculated would be approximately 2200 to 2800 per family in Orange County alone. And that comes from a bond that Reedy Creek issued to cover their ongoing projects. That's not something that can be erased. That's not something that can legally go away. If Reedy Creek is dissolved, that bond, that debt goes to the county. But nobody in the governor's office or the legislature looked into this or talked about this. I figured this out by calling around and they didn't do it. Because, Sarah, you know as well as I do, they don't care because it's not about 
policy, right? It's not about, well, Disney's had this break or this deal, right, for 50 or 60 years. You know, others have taken advantage of this kind of thing because, to your point, given the nature and scope of it and the longevity of it, now this is the only way to do it. It's retribution. What DeSantis did with the legislature's total acquiescence was throw a grenade into the culture wars with the Don't Say Gay bill, let it blow up. Disney, I think, did the right thing to say this is not our corporate value. They're also the biggest player in probably the Florida economy and in Florida politics. They assumed that this would have a thing. DeSantis refuses, will not have anybody oppose him on any grounds. So rather than being smart about this and saying, you know what, I shouldn't get into a fight with Mickey Mouse, he threw yet another culture war grenade into it. But the bottom line is that all of these things make life harder for Floridians, will make costs more expensive for people in Orange County, which is Orlando, and will, I assume, cost, again, to your point, there are bonds out there, there are city costs, there are county costs, there are all the other things, which will also probably ultimately raise the price of a ticket, a hotel room, whatever it is. Well, more sympathetic than costs going up at Disney is what it's going to do to the economy and the job losses it's going to cause. The bill that they signed eliminates Reedy Creek Improvement District as a legal entity as of June 1st, 2023. Reedy Creek directly employs about 400 people directly and another 400 people through their utility services. So that's about 800. They have contracts with ongoing outside vendors, 2,000 of them right now. And some of those contractors have hundreds of employees. And because Disney has a higher and more restrictive building code than the county does, they pay higher in a lot of these ways because they have higher requirements and higher standards. And they're also doing the work more frequently. If this statute is allowed to continue to go on and Reedy Creek is dissolved, those employees of Reedy Creek no longer have jobs and those contracts are all immediately dissolved. This is, and I said this on a radio show last week, it is potentially an immediate elimination of tens of thousands of blue collar and first responder and middle class jobs in Central Florida. Let me ask this. I saw in the article you wrote that DeSantis and this Florida legislature were also a little sneaky by half by saying that this wouldn't take effect until middle of next year, 2023, which I suppose gives them a couple of things. One, it gives them a chance to wriggle out of something with Disney if they want to. Secondly, it gets them through the next legislative session before this actually takes effect. And then I guess lastly, it also gives DeSantis the opportunity to hold this over Disney's head and try and get them to back down before anything would actually take effect legally. But if you are the Disney Corporation, if you are Universal Studios, if you are all of the various districts and all the other special things that we've piled on top of each other, City of Orlando, County of Orange, you have to start preparing as if it's going to happen. So a year from now, there are sunk costs no matter what that someone's going to have to recoup. Yeah. And here's the problem. The local government attorneys and government officials I spoke to were terrified of that June 1st, 2023 deadline. Because one year to handle something as complicated as Reedy Creek with two incorporated cities where the majority of the park and developments are, and then two separate counties and all these players, plus in the middle of an election year and an impending legislative session, it's a lot of chaos and it's darn near impossible and it's going to be very expensive. In my article, I called that deadline legislative blackmail. 
because the pressure that it's putting on Disney and the local governments is just absolutely insane. And it's our Central Florida economy that's going to pay the price for this. The message is very clear. I mean, the lieutenant governor went on Newsmax and flat out said that this was basically retaliation. This is to tell Disney to sit down and shut up. But, you know, none of these people turned in the Disney contributions. Randy Fine, the house sponsor of the bill, has gotten over $20,000. My state rep here, a Democrat on Escamani, challenged him on it. Oh, well, if Disney's so terrible, are you going to return your contributions? And of course he's not. That's the other thing. They say that this is retribution for the opposition to the parental rights and education bill, but Disney also shut off their contributions. They've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to elected officials in the state of Florida, mostly to the Republicans lately because they've had control, and they've cut that off. So we've got another election cycle coming up and another legislative session, and the message is really clear. So what does Disney do now? I mean, the law professors I've talked to and a number of other people who've written legal analyses online have pointed to the fact that this sure as heck sounds like retaliation. So while the legislature may have the power to amend and change special taxing districts, you don't have the right to do that for a retaliatory free speech reason. There's a similar case when Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York City, where he was offended by an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum of Art. He called it sick and disgusting and anti-Catholic and sought to defund them and kick them out of the city-owned building. A federal judge in New York smacked that down for the same kind of thing. The city always has the right to renegotiate leases and change funding and adjust funding or eliminate funding for different programs. But when they're doing that and so clearly articulating that they're doing it to punish for speech, then that's where you get into problems. If I were Disney, I would be filing a lawsuit and seeking to immediately enjoin any sort of action on that bill to save both Disney and Reedy Creek and Orange and Osceola County from the legal costs and then seek to get it struck. There's such a clear First Amendment violation here because they've all just admitted it, that this is retaliation. And, you know, the cynical part of my brain believes that they do these things so that they can win the culture war points and get on Fox News and send out the fundraising emails. But, you know, if the court strikes it down, then, oh, liberal activist judges ruining our lives and preventing us from making Florida great again. That's the whole ballgame, right? That's why he's doing this. Ron DeSantis doesn't want to govern. He wants to be in charge. The Florida legislature now is, I assume, by the Constitution of the state of Florida, a co-equal branch of government, but is now basically just the Tallahassee Reichstag, right? Like they just fall in behind him. But what happened? I mean, this guy hasn't even been in office one full term yet. What happened that made these guys just crawfish as fast as they could from this guy? I'm still a little flabbergasted by it because I've watched legislatures fight back against governors of different parties. Jeb Bush and his staff had a pretty cordial, good relationship, but it was more collaborative. He wasn't issuing orders. He definitely was very strong-willed. You didn't want to cross him. That would be a very bad idea. But it wasn't this kind of top-down thing. The legislature overrode Charlie Crist on a number of things. They overrode Rick Scott on a number of things. There were open fights between the Republicans and the legislature and Rick Scott. He kept himself separate from the Republican Party of Florida and had his own fundraising arm. There was a lot of battles back and forth. 
So I can see where coming out of the Rick Scott era, there may have been a desire for the Republican lawmakers to have a more unified state party. And so that may have been like, okay, like, let's just try to cooperate with the governor. But it's really got to point to the whole absolute upending of the American political system that came along with the presidency and post-presidency of Donald J. Trump. Ron DeSantis He started out very well. He came in with some really good reforms. He had a very good and logical and well-financially structured pay raise for teachers. He kicked out a number of elected officials using his power as governor. He kicked out a supervisor of elections in South Florida that I've written about that absolutely needed to go. And there was some howling over that, but he was viewed as a reformer. And even the Democrats were like, okay, yeah, the people he got rid of really were kind of a mess. But he's not governing anymore. It's issuing orders by fiat and the legislature marches along. I mean, the Florida Constitution directs the legislature to draw the congressional maps after each census. We're in that process now. The legislature drew the congressional district maps and DeSantis vetoed them. And then his office sent over his set of maps and they're like, "Okay, fine. And that was one of the things they rushed through in the special session last week. But, Sarah, it was worse than that because the legislature put out a statement saying that they would await the maps from the governor's office, which to me, again, being nothing but a jailhouse lawyer, would seem to be an unconstitutional abdication of authority. That is one of the arguments. There is a lawsuit already filed against the maps because they eliminate the congressional seat in Tallahassee and chop it up in several pieces that was held by Al Lawson who is black. It also chops up a district held by another black member of Congress, Val Demings here in Orlando. It definitely is a far more Republican slanted district map, but they just didn't even have any input at all. They, okay, whatever the governor's office sends us, we're going to rubber stamp. And the thing that boggles my mind is I see it as something that's maybe not this time, maybe not this year, but it's something that poses potential political suicide because Ron DeSantis is a national name. He is famous among the conservative movement and has a strong fundraising base online in all 50 states. He's on Fox News all the time. They love him. Nobody knows the name of these state reps or state senators, even in their own districts. They cannot do what Ron DeSantis is doing. So what we've got now is they've passed some districts that already have been sued and are going to be a big fight. And it's going to be an emergency because we have to have the districts to actually run the election with the primaries in August. And then we've got this Disney bill that if it's not squashed dead in the next couple weeks, is going to start incurring major costs for Orange and Osceola County and potentially killing a lot of jobs and a significant tax increase for everyone. And that's what the legislators are going to have to answer to their voters for. Ron DeSantis is running for president. He doesn't need anybody in Florida to get there. He just needs to get reelected. But then he doesn't actually need anybody. And he doesn't need any of the Republican legislators either. So if they get tossed under their bus, he doesn't care. I even argued if they lose the majority, which I think is highly unlikely, but if it narrows or if they lose it in 2024, that's almost better for him because he's got the ability to say, oh, well, everything I wanted to get done, um, I mean, in 2022, rather, everything I wanted to get done, the Democrats and the squishy rhino Republicans blocked me. So vote for me for president and I'll make America great again. There's a couple of things. I mean, on the DeSantis front, Trump is an asshole, but Trump's always been an asshole, right? Like that's his brand. DeSantis, he comes off much more as a bully. And this is the other part, too. 
Trump is what Trump is. He didn't design himself like there's no grand plan for Trump, right? Like he doesn't sit think, what am I going to do? How do I make this move? How do I make that move for him? It's raw power. And when I say this word, I don't mean it positively. He has a charisma and a connection to his voters. Ron DeSantis is the one who has best articulated or articulated himself into that thing, but it's still not his native language. He takes Trump and puts it through a Google translator, right? It's the same words, but it's not the same language. He certainly transformed his mannerisms and how he speaks over the years. I met him very early on before he was even in Congress. He came by a red state gathering with his wife. Very pleasant, very intelligent, very soft-spoken. Just kind of like, oh, it's nice to be here. Nice to meet everybody. Okay. And runs for governor as Trump, 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 Trump. And to be fair, the mayor of Tallahassee, the Democrat who ran against him, was a hot mess and we all knew it. So DeSantis gets in and then he governs really well for a couple months. And then it's just turned into this culture war. The media is evil and wants your children to be gay commies. The level of insanity, any criticism of him is attacking Florida families. It's not, wait, I think this bill might be unconstitutional. Because it's all performative bullshit. Like, that's all it is. This is my sense of DeSantis just watching him and having been through enough presidential campaigns is that I think that once Trump lost in 20, DeSantis saw an opening. And I think his wife, Casey, the Lady Macbeth of Tallahassee, saw an opening, too. And all of his consultants, many of whom I go back to 2000, 2004 with, saw an opening, which is he ain't going to come back. Right. He's done. You know, the brand will be over. He'll be like every other ex-president, even though, you know, he never has been normal. But I think the mistake that they're making now, and I think it will be if there's going to be a fatal flaw in DeSantis's presidential aspirations, it's going to be two things. One, it's going to be impatience. And two, it's going to be the belief that he can take on Trump straight up in a presidential primary and win. And I think that that is a very, very bad miscalculation on his part, because you see things like, as we just saw, was it earlier this week or over the weekend? that somebody like a Roger Stone, you know, filed potentially to run for governor this year. There are people in the Trump world who know that DeSantis is a threat. They know that when Trump was in New Jersey last summer for his vacation up there at Bedminster and DeSantis came up to fundraise, he didn't go to Bedminster to kiss the ring. When Trump has done rallies in Florida, DeSantis doesn't go. He is not a fixture or even an infrequent visitor to Mar-a-Lago. So they know he's sitting out there and it almost feels like DeSantis is, you know, trying to goad him into a fight, which, again, if it's the true believer or the convert, I have a hard time believing that DeSantis can take the guy down. I think also, even if Trump decides not to run, DeSantis thinks that somehow this thing is already wrapped up, which is also very dangerous, considering that there'll be like eight other authoritarian-ish assholes who also want to be president, who are not going to let him just sort of do his bully thing like Trump did on the stage, you know, six years ago. Yeah, I mean, the level of aggressive, impenetrable theater that Trump performed on that debate stage is not something that you can train yourself into to be that much of a big orange supernova on the <laughs> stage. Right. It's got to be something that's innate. And DeSantis is fine when he's fired up and he's got his pre-prepared remarks, but 
I've never seen him be somebody who can spit out the insults and the mockery and the just level of insanity. And I don't know how to even approach this mess that Trump was able to do. Now, I will say one of the complicating factors in all of this, having watched people I respected and friends of mine, some of them are now former friends, fall in line behind Trump as he got the GOP nomination in 2016 and who defend him even now because the liberals are so bad. There's two big groups that we have to talk about. There's the core believers that are photoshopping Trump onto, you know, Conan the Barbarian's body. And then there's the people who are voting for Trump because eh, he fights, he makes the libs mad, he makes the media mad, he votes for the judges I like. Okay. DeSantis has a very good chance of getting a bunch of voters from that second group. The people who voted for Trump and kind of laughed when he was mean to CNN and and said mean things about Democrats, look at DeSantis as, okay, well, he's clearly willing to go ham against the left. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out because DeSantis is trying to market himself as Trump without the baggage. It's going to be a circus to watch. (laughs) But let me ask you this. I mean, in Florida, where you live, and we saw this with Trump's presidency, and we see this with a lot of Republican leaders, whether or not they're governors or senators or members of the U.S. House or whoever they might be, is that chaos is their brand. And so I guess my question for you is, do you believe that the average Floridian, like the average American, just wants the noise to stop? with a pandemic and inflation and more, normalcy will be hard to come by. But do you think that he might be over-rotating on the all angry, all the time, all fighting, all the time stuff when folks are like, hey, you know, my rent just went up a thousand bucks a month. Like, I don't like the don't say gay bill. I wish you wouldn't do that. You know, I think more than the don't say gay bill is the fact that we still haven't seen the real fallout from this Disney thing. And it's one thing to cheer on a guy when he fights, when he punches the other side in the nose. It's a whole other thing when it has real-world consequences for your family. If they decide not to move the 2,000 employees from California to the facility they're building in the Lake Nona area of Orlando, that's a big economic impact. (laughs) If they decide to not do any more expansion on the parks until the current crop of elected critters is out of the way, that's an impact. If this goes through and there's the tax raises on everybody in Orange and Osceola County, that's an impact. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like taking the culture war from rhetoric to regulation has a real potential drawback for him. And when people start thinking about what actually happened during the last regular and special session, we all saw the absolute tragedy of the Surfside condo collapse. You know what the legislature didn't get around to doing? changing any regulations about condo inspections. That's the thing. It's a willingness to try and create a reality that benefits only you and a small group of people and an unwillingness to confront a reality which says, yes, listen, condo association, this might cost you and your owners money. But the flip side is the front side of the building's not going to collapse and dozens of people aren't going to die. But let me ask you this. Skipping back to Disney for a second, should the giant mouse decide to continue to withhold contributions or, you know, even more forward-leaning, proactive, start to actually make 
independent expenditures against members of the legislature, which in, uh, was it Citizens United or whatever, you know, said they can. What kind of reaction would the legislature have? Because it's one thing to fall in line behind DeSantis's wake if you think there's no real political or personal consequence for you. But when one of the biggest companies in the country, if not the world, and the main economic driver in the state decides to put a target on your back, would that affect anybody's behavior? You know, I would hope so. And it's an interesting thing because when you look at the timing of this, Disney's CEO put out that statement opposing the parental rights and education bill, and they cut off political contributions. Now, all the vocal flailing from the Republicans was about the opposition to the bill. But what I think really ticked them off slash freaked them out was the checkbook getting closed. Disney has the ability to spend an awful lot of money to influence the political process. They have, I think, 42 or 43 lobbyists in Tallahassee alone, and that doesn't include anything at the federal level or all the other states where they're doing stuff. They have the ability to spend money and throw their weight around. And this is one of the things that I pointed out in that Mediate article. They may not be able to take out DeSantis, although they certainly could drop a couple million dollars into a pack. He has a national fundraising base at this point. But they could absolutely affect a number of state House and state Senate races. You do not have to have that much money to be able to do that. And especially, again, if there are any tangible real-world consequences from this, it's the easiest ads in the world to run against these people. Like, state rep so-and-so voted to raise your taxes, $2,000. State rep so-and-so voted to kill jobs in Central Florida. And again, I've made this point a couple of times in the past few days, Ron DeSantis doesn't need any of the Republican legislators to win in order for him to go on for president. He just has to get himself reelected. I would argue, too, that in a weird way, it's almost better for him if some of these Republicans lose. I doubt they'll lose the majority in the Florida legislature. This is a Republican strong headwind year. But if the majority gets narrowed, anything that he wants to do in a second term as governor, he can say, oh, well, the awful Democrats and those stupid rhino Republicans messed everything up. So they're the ones thwarting my you know, ability to make Florida great again, blah, blah, blah. So he doesn't need any of these people, and they can't do the national fundraising, Fox News, rah, 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 that he can do. So it's a whole different ballgame. Disney absolutely has the ability to be the 800-pound gorilla in the room and potentially knock out a number of sitting Republican legislators. It would not take an awful lot of money. There's people in this state that are very familiar with the various districts and local issues and campaigns that could be put together. I mean, I've run a number of those kind of things and a couple million dollars and you could pick off a couple. So last year, in the wake of some of the voting rights laws that were being passed in Georgia, Delta came out against them. Coca-Cola came out against them. The CEO of Levi's was very vocal. Then, you know, the flip side is you have like a Toyota who again this week was just caught giving money again to seditionist members of the U.S. House after a campaign by us, Judd Legum, Crew, and others last summer when they were caught the last time, stopped doing it and said, sorry, we're sorry, we won't do it again. Now they're doing it again. But the thing about a Toyota is it's a consumer brand, right? Like there's 22 different SUVs. There's six different pickup trucks. What kind of decision is happening in Plano, Texas, where Toyota North America is headquartered, where it's like, 
we're really going to take this risk for like $15,000 because it's not about the money. The money matters to the candidates. But in the grand scheme of things, it's Toyota North America, right? They sell a gajillion cars. They build a bunch of them here. They're the name sponsor of the U.S. Olympic team, right? Like, why do that? What possibly can convince them other than a government affairs guy who's been in D.C. for too long or a lobbying shop that has no scruples to say, oh, we got to do this because this goon needs money. Like, why would you care if that guy needs money? Toyota especially is in a position of such strength because their cars are great. I have a number of friends who are mechanics and they just told me, just trade your Ford in for a Toyota. That will solve all your problems. <laughs> you know, and there's nothing that any Congress critter can do about that. It comes down to an absolute moral issue. The idea that you would boycott an elected official because they were a Republican or supported Trump is too broad of a nut and is a little bit borderline crazy. But what happened on January 6th and the aftermath were mere hours after that, a few members who are elected to represent the people of the United States and took an oath to uphold the Constitution, still voted against certifying the Electoral College votes. That specific group of people crossed a line that should never have been crossed, should never have even been approached. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's who you were targeting, right? It was not the whole collective group. It was the people who voted against certifying the votes. So that's Rick Scott here in Florida, you know, that's a targeted group who are being targeted for a specific decision they made when an angry mob could have very easily hurt Mike Pence, hurt Nancy Pelosi, hurt any of them. I mean, anybody who's done any reading on mob mentality knows that they don't chill out if they get a little bit of blood. If they had come across any member of Congress, this would have turned very badly. I think that the death toll would have been much higher because that would have incited them further. We are so blessed that there was not a single elected official that had anything bad happen to them other than getting their pants scared off. You look at what a company is hoping to get out of this. Their lobbyists are telling them they need the support of Congress for whatever benefit for a new plant they want to have or some tax break they want to get. And that's understandable. You know, what is refusing to have Rick Scott's vote going to really do to undermine Toyota's ability to sell all of their Highlanders and Forerunners and everything in the United States? Like, is it really going to, like, crush their corporate dreams? I'm skeptical. Again, this is a specific targeted list of people who broke their oath to the Constitution and voted against certifying the Electoral College votes when they knew that was crap. They knew. They knew. The dingbats like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like, I'll give a little leeway to think, like, maybe she really is that dumb and maybe she really did think that, like, you know, magical gremlins stole all the votes for Trump or something. Who knows? But Rick Scott is smart. He knows there was no plausible, real fraud that would have justified overturning the electoral college votes in one state, much less enough to take the victory away from Biden. Ted Cruz is Mr. Smarty Pants, Ivy League lawyer. He's argued in front of the Supreme Court. He knows better. Like all these people know better. They crossed a line. Rick Scott will never get my vote again. It's over. He's dead to me. So before we get out of here, what does the rest of this election year in Florida look like to you? 
Well, we don't even know because we're still fighting over the congressional districts. <laughs> um, until we know where those lines are, like that's going to be a whole mess. The primary is in August. We have a governor who's running for re-election and asking everyone to trust him that he's going to do a great job in his second term when it's all but known that he's planning to abandon the state halfway through. So that's cool. In the meantime, we are one month and four days away from the start of hurricane season. The legislature did nothing to make the condo inspection rules better. We have a massive property insurance problem in this state that the rates are skyrocketing and a lot of Floridians are just getting kicked off their policies. We also have a state-run backup property insurance system called Citizens Insurance Fund, and that is terribly capitalized, financially unstable, and oh wait, they didn't fix that either. So cool, cool, cool. If a major hurricane hits this state in the middle of the summer, that is another thing that every Republican consultant should be waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat about because, hey, those silly little critters didn't do anything about it, and it's a mess. You know, I was thinking about both Ron DeSantis in Florida and Greg Abbott over in Texas, both of whom have gone to the fringiest of the fringies in some attempt to lock down, you know, base Trumpy MAGA America first voters, you know, Abbott's now in a fight with Beto O'Rourke. But if both of them had just done their jobs, if DeSantis and the legislature had just addressed the things that you discussed, he'd be at like 70% in the state. He'd beat Charlie Crist or Nikki Freed by 20. But now he's chosen to go this path which is like everything else they do, which is highly irrational and makes it for sure that even with Republican voters, there'll be some bleed. Now, will there be a ton? Probably not. In Florida, maybe that doesn't matter, but in a national election, it will when, you know, it's 1.2 points. You say irrational, but it depends on what the goal is. Is the goal to continue to have success in Florida or is the goal to be president? Smart policy making. And getting into all these details and a complicated, you know, budget system and all that isn't a exciting thing to talk about on Tucker Carlson's show. What he's been doing is detrimental for the state of Florida and is ticking off the left, scaring moderates and peeling away Republicans. But he probably still has enough that he has a good shot at reelection. And it is positioning him to be in a strong position to run for president in 2024. So it's not irrational if the goal is the White House. Look up his fundraising numbers. He draws in money from all 50 states. It is flowing in. I think the last number, he's sitting on like $100 million or something to run for re-election in Florida. Why does somebody from Wyoming donate to re-elect the Florida governor? Because they saw him on Fox News and they want him to succeed and they want him to be the Trump successor. I think that there's another time for us to debate the relative rationality of any of these people. And I hope that you'll come back and do that with us. Before we let you go, where can our listeners find you on social media? So my last name is Rumpf, R-U-M-P-F, like Florida, good German name. And there was this rap song that came out in the 90s by a group called Rex and Effect called Shake Your Rump. <laughs> and that was a nickname, whether I liked it or not. So my Twitter handle is Rumpf Shaker, R-U-M-P-F Shaker. So that's where I'm posting running commentary. I've been doing some ongoing coverage of this Disney Reedy Creek thing. There will be more articles coming out this week. 
And then you can always find my writing at Mediaite. That's M-E-D-I-A-I-T-E dot com. All right, everybody. Thanks as always. And you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Sarah, thanks again for joining me. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.